if you do decide to be a documentary filmmaker, you are inherently taking on a future that is uncertain in your work. So you're you're saying yes to the, I don't know how this story is going to end, but I'm going to start it and I'm going to go with it and I'm going to see where it takes me. And um, that's really kind of the thing I relish and love about it, but it's also very, you know, kind of uh, stressful. I'm Julie Clare. And this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Hello. Today, my guest is Jillian Spitzmiller and so happy that she's here. She's an award-winning documentary filmmaker and educator with a great depth of experience in creating long-range character-driven stories. Uh, Jillian's produced and directed several acclaimed feature documentaries, including one that's called Shakespeare Behind Bars. This one premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and picked up 11 awards on the festival circuit. Her films Homeland and Still Dreaming aired on PBS. Her most recent film, Meow Wolf, Origin Story, premiered at Southwest by Southwest, played in over 600 theaters, and is currently available on iTunes. Jalan lives in New Mexico, and she has most recently served as the head of nonfiction for Meow Wolf for two years. She's currently enrolled in Sundance CoLab writing. Is that how you say that, Jalan? CoLab? Yes. Writing course for television and is working on her first fiction pilot script. So, Joanne, welcome in. Thank you so much, Julie, for having me. Absolutely. I, I, I want to jump right in because just to, just to get a check in here, what's it like? We're still at stay at home during COVID and here in New Mexico. And I imagine your filmmaking is quite an extroverted occupation. <laughs> uh, what's it like <laughs> right now for you as a documentary filmmaker and being in stay at home? What's going on for you? Well, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, or I think a filmmaker in any genre, you kind of have these waves of extroverted activity and then introverted activity, which is one of the great things about this field is that you have to do so many different kinds of activities to create a film. And there's, it, it's kind of the cycle is always refreshing. So there are times that are very introverted when you're, um, let's say writing or when you're editing, um, you know, you can be kind of isolated for an entire year at editing a documentary feature. And then there are these other times, obviously, where you're really going out into the world in sort of hyper extroverted mode, um, shooting or even just developing your project. And um, so luckily, this time struck for me personally at a moment when I wasn't really going out um, in search of any story and I wasn't in the middle of filming anything far afield. Um, it has had a huge impact on my career at the present moment. Um, but in terms of like creating a story, uh, I haven't haven't been directly impacted. Um, it kind of came at a good time. So um, it's, you know, it's obviously a strange phenomenon. And as filmmakers, as 
documentary filmmakers were used to being really flexible. Um, we we kind of have put our faith in the universe to a great degree, <laughs> I would say, um, in following this career path. So it's just kind of one more layer of having to go with it. Wow. And when you say faith, you've got to have a good amount of faith to be in this business. Are you speaking, what are you mostly speaking to there? Uh, getting work or? Well, I think it sort of applies to every aspect of the field because number one, there is no like straight path to success in this field. There's no like formula. There's no, you know, one, two, three, four, and then you're there. Um, it, it For each person and each filmmaker, you really do end up kind of carving out your own path and your own story to what does success look like for you? Um what does your filmmaking mean to you? You know, because it's, um, it's just a, it's sort of an ever changing field in terms of technology and, and in terms of the distributors and the marketplace. And so there's that. And then the other thing that's probably a greater factor is that if you do decide to be a documentary filmmaker, you are inherently taking on a future that is uncertain in your work. So you're, you're saying yes to the, I don't know how this story is going to end, but I'm going to start it and I'm going to go with it and I'm going to see where it takes me. And um, that's really kind of the thing I relish and love about it, but it's also very, you know, kind of uh, stressful. Um, but the kind of stories that I tell are character driven and they tend to be over a long period of time. And I tend to start with a group of people who are in a specific situation and there's a lot going on there, but it could go any number of ways, you know? And so I think when you are a documentary filmmaker, you just really have to have a lot of faith in your own gut instincts, you know, and mm. um, faith in the stories that you set out to tell and a degree also of flexibility and openness because they're probably not going to end up how you think they're going to end up, you know. So the stories themselves in the telling is it's very uncertain. What story is actually yeah. going to be told? Yeah. And, you know, I I think there are things that you know at the beginning of the story, like who, who are you focusing on and what is their situation? And, you know, we usually, I work with my husband a lot. Um, we would usually start a film that feels like very rich ground, you know, like there are some characters who are facing obstacles or conflicts that are, there's a lot of stakes and, um, there's a lot of layers to that story, you know, um, so we we start with a situation that you know probably has has a few different ways it could go but we're hoping that whichever way it goes it'll be interesting you know and we can make something of it. So right off the bat uncertainty right that I mean I know this from my own experience of I would say making up the work that I do um nobody's giving you the assignments necessarily right? Um, right. But, but then there's also what's it like to be, so there's that. Given that, is a coveted job, I know you recently just for, for a couple of years of, was, you were head of what, the nonfiction department at Meow Wolf. What's that like to have 
Is that a novel experience to have like a full-time job? Do you know what I mean? Is that having that degree of certainty, at least with, (laughs) with work? Um, Yeah. Yeah. That was like a, you know, serendipitous moment in time that doesn't happen very often, you know, which is that Meow Wolf for a period of time decided it was going to build an entertainment company alongside of its location-based entertainment exhibits. Um, And they were thinking about expanding, you know, into television and film. And so um, I was brought on to to head their documentary department after having helped make Meow Wolf origin story, which was the story of the first 10 years of Meow Wolf, which is, if you've never heard of it, it's an arts and entertainment um, company with a, an exhibit in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And they're in the middle of creating a new exhibit in Las Vegas and a new exhibit in Denver. And then they have plans beyond that as well. And of course the pandemic has greatly affected them um but what i was ultimately doing for them was basically documenting the continuation of their story and then also the story of who they were collaborating with and who they are collaborating with so um i was making short pieces around those stories and putting a lot of footage in the bank um, for a later, you know, mm. chapter. Um, you know, the, the Meow Wolf origin story movie, I thought was really good. I mean, um, what a project. Um, talk about how to create a story out of so much energy and such a raw beginning. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I had some really wonderful collaborators. It was like basically a, a female team. Uh, Morgan Caps was, my directing partner and Alessandra Dobrincalsa was the editor and Alexander Renzo was the producer. And, um, you know, we really, that was really a, a beautiful collaboration. Um, but, you know, kind of coming back to your question of like stability or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I haven't mostly, I've been an independent filmmaker Um and most documentary filmmakers are, you know, independent producers. Even if you're, you have a series with Netflix or whatever, that's, you know, that's not a full-time gig. That's a, you know, it has a, a beginning and an end to it, you know, around the project that you're doing. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was great to have that kind of, safety net and that Mm -hmm. that clarity around okay this is what I'm doing right now you know um but they did do a bunch of layoffs because of COVID-19 so I unfortunately was one of those people got got laid off also how do you greet the new world here I see that you're you're already engaged with Sundance working with the more of a fiction side How, how do you greet the world as a newly well, officially kind of unemployed, but just because you were employed, how do you, <laughs> how do you officially greet the world saying, wow, I'm here, I'm open for, for gigs, or is it much more of you, you have to go to having a much bigger vision than that and come up with bigger projects? I mean, what, what's it like to, to be you right now, having been laid off and, and mid-COVID? And 
Well, I think being an independent filmmaker for decades and a freelancer for decades, because like even when I'm making my own films, often I'm freelance shooting um, or consulting with others. Um, I have a documentary consulting business where I help mentor newer to mid-level filmmakers. Um, and so I'm often involved in other projects as a consultant or co-producer. And, and in New Mexico, especially, I do do a lot of documentary camera work. Um, so I continued to do that all along, even with the Meow Wolf job, um, just because I was already involved in some projects that I love. And um, also because I just love shooting so much and have a hard time turning that down. Um, so I, I had kept my hand in, in these other projects. Um, obviously, I didn't do that a lot. I did have a full-time job. Um, and so now when I come back into this situation, it's like, it's very comfortable for me because this is what I've done most of my life, which is freelance and consulting and generating um, my own ideas. But I do feel like um, this is an interesting time where I'm reassessing what I have been doing in my life and looking at some initial goals that I set aside because they felt too difficult being a female filmmaker in the Hollywood system. Um, when I first got into filmmaking, it was an absolutely male-dominated field. It there are little chinks of light in that now. There are more opportunities for women. But back in the early 90s, it was just sort of too daunting for me to pursue some goals that I actually had, which was um, I wanted to be a fiction television director and possibly writer. And, you know, I just didn't feel like I was kind of like a strong enough personality or a pushy enough person or a, like I just didn't see myself as the kind of woman that could succeed in that totally male dominated world. And I, I didn't pursue it. And I found the doors much wider in documentary. I could step through those directing doors in documentary. I could what, create my own project. Isn't that something, what is it about that? Cause that's one thing I really <clears> wanted <throat> to talk to you today about what is it to be a female documentary filmmaker in my mind? Um, I think of you as you have to be really kick ass. Like I think of you, there's a toughness and I don't, if that's just a sense of you just walk in the door with your big camera and saying like, I'm here. Right. But, but you said documentaries, maybe the doorway was a little wider than the fiction, especially in the 90s. But in general, what is that, do you think? What was that about or what is that about? Well, I think, number one, like documentary has always been the stepchild of fiction. And it's just now kind of getting its due. Um, so when I started as a documentary filmmaker, people would be sort of condescending and be like, oh, that's such a noble profession. You know, it's like... And they would just sort of scoff at it like, wow, that's a dumb thing to do. <laughs> um, you're never going to make any money. And, uh, you know, I didn't see it as that. I saw it as um, I didn't really care about the money. I just saw the storytelling as something really compelling. Um, and, you know, you said like, 
what does it take to walk in the door with a big camera? Yeah. It, it, it takes a lot of humility. Like it doesn't take, it takes a lot of courage, right? It takes so much courage to step into a person's life and say, hey, you know, do you want to lay out everything on the table and tell me your deepest, darkest fears and secrets? Um, it takes so much courage to do that. But what I have, like, that's behind the scenes. What I have to present when I walk through the door is empathy and non-judgment and incredible listening skills. And I basically have to, like, come in as, like, a soft, warm breeze. You know, I don't come in as, like, a big thing carrying a camera. You know, <laughs> the camera might be big, but you've got to try to make the camera disappear. So I think being a woman, there's actually like, you have a lot of, um, uh, there's a, there's a lot going for you in that women can kind of slip into that role pretty easily. Like we're used to listening. We're used to being submissive. We're used to being, you know, of service, right? That's how we've been conditioned. So, um, there's a couple things going on there. I think that you know, the men who are interested in making money in the field of filmmaking wouldn't necessarily go into documentary. And then I think um, there is this sort of natural proclivity that women have to listening and showing up, you know. Isn't that something about the the dual skill skills of this soft empathy, you know, having the camera disappear, and then this kind of behind the scenes, courage, boldness, wanting to get to the depth, wanting to, to really go somewhere, almost like a fire. Yeah. So there's this combo. Um, and what's it like, you know, how would you say in the documentary, in the world that you've lived in, how male dominated or female dominated is it in the documentary world? I mean, what, what are we looking at? Um, you know, they, they say that, I mean, there have been some recent studies and I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, there's, pretty good gender parity in terms of like male, female producer directors. But I think when you look at like who wins the awards, um, it's more way more male dominated, um, which is interesting. Uh, but you know, that being said, like I've never felt discriminated against being a female documentary mm. filmmaker. Um, I will say though that my husband and I, we, we have worked together for 30 years and there was a project that um, when we had our first child, he was just able to naturally put more time into it. And I was still fully involved and had been on all the shoots pretty much when I was pregnant. And but once I had the baby, we we went into editing and, you know, I was like, okay, why don't you just kind of take the lead here while I take care of the baby, you know? And But I was still, again, like a sounding board and involved and watching cuts and talking about it every night. And um, But I sort of naively said, okay, you take the director credit and I'll take the producer credit, even though we'd like made the film together and we called it a film by both of us. Mm -hmm. um, but what was interesting to see is that he got all of the attention for that film. And it was like, I didn't exist. And, you know, in retrospect, it was probably, it could have been, it, it was like, he was the male director and that was all people could see. 
and the female producer just like faded into the woodwork, you know? So that was the only time that I saw that dynamic really at play in my career. Otherwise we've like co-produced and co-directed everything. um, Isn't that something, but then that's the power of the credits. Yeah. Yeah. Who gets credited. Yeah. And when you're current, when you go out right now and you do shoots and, and you have a team of people, I know you said, um, with the Meow Wolf origin story, it was a team of women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you working as much with men as you are with women when you're doing a job? Or um, It depends. I mean, you know, there's qualified people of all genders and non-binary folks. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't seek out, you know... Um, male or female this or that i i will say i i do love working with women i um just because there's a different style you know of like walking through that door you know um but i think it's really about the quality of the person rather than their gender there's so many you know wonderful people who can listen and you know have those great empathy muscles and and all that you know my husband being one of them so yeah um Jillian how did you how did you get from how I want to make films to being a documentary filmmaker and being in a position of making a lot I mean you've really you've got quite the resume you have a lot of a big variety you've had a lot of success with your films what how did how do you go? Is it just step really incremental? Is it tiny little opening or job openings or what does that look like to to go from wanting to do it to beginning to do it? Well, I think that you know watching films is really instructive and really starting to pay attention to how did they make this and what do I like and what do I not like as a viewer and what stories am I drawn to and um what are personal passions that you have or like all my films have come out of curiosities that I've had Um, things that I've wanted to pursue in terms of things I wanted to know more about. Um, I don't, I never make a film because I think it's going to be commercial, you know? And um, so I think there's, there's that there's, studying film there you know just by watching there's really checking in with yourself and seeing like what are your interests and then I would start training you know go to a local community college after this COVID craziness (laughs) is over get into student crews even if you know I taught at the Santa Fe Community College for 10 years I taught documentary and I made do it again someday soon. But I loved it because all of my students, I would say 95% of my students were over the age of 55 and they had something they wanted to say. And they would get in there and we would teach them the camera. We would teach them how to use sound. We would put them together in crews and they would be out there starting to tell their story. And of course, in the beginning, there's so much to learn you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, but the best thing is like get in a group where you can learn by doing, um, there's Mm. some wonderful online classes and those are great for learning how to produce, but you know, there's no, no substitute for like 
getting out there if you want to learn how to direct or do camera. Um, is, and is that your story? Is that how you did it? You just, you went step by step? You, I, I actually fell into filmmaking in college and studied screenwriting and made fiction shorts and made documentaries. And then I, um, you know, like I said, it's just like the job I found out of college was a documentary assisting job. And, you know, so mm-hmm. I, it's, you know, who are the, is anyone in your area making films that you love, you know, you can volunteer or you can intern um, or you can see if they have actually paying work. Um, It's really a field where you have to learn by doing. Um, I hear it. You you know, one thing that strikes me when I hear you is the, the value and the power of curiosity as a lead in terms of the actual work and the profession. Yeah. And I find that working with creative professionals in different different professions and that it's get, it gets to be even more and more almost hard to come by because things get so serious. And I, I hear this like, but the but the work and the career itself is driven by this curiosity and following these these interests, like knowing that what you we started saying, knowing what you're interested in, what what are you passionate about. So there you are. You've you've actually from square zero. I mean, really from college, you've been in the filmmaking direction. You've been in there doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it takes a huge amount of dedication and tenacity to get a film made. I mean, I cannot understate, I cannot overstate that. It is such a long, complicated, challenging, spiritually transformational endeavor. You know, I feel like the story chooses you and you are going on your own spiritual journey every time you start a project because it is going to push your buttons and it's going to push the biggest buttons that you have and you're either up for the challenge or you're not, you know, I mean. <laughs> and when you, wait, when you say that the story, you know, the story chooses you, right? Give me one example in your life of the films, like how it chose you and how it, how it, it was just a spiritual really journey to make, make the film. Yeah. Well, what I mean by the story chooses you is Mm -hmm. that you may feel like you get an idea or you read an article or somebody tells you a story, right? So it's not like, you just are maybe you're, maybe you're dreaming one night and you get a download, but something will come into your periphery or land on your desk, and you'll be like, "Hmm, that's interesting." Um, wow! And you'll just like can't help yourself, but you just kind of keep digging at that, right? And reading more articles and going down more rabbit holes on the internet about that thing, or um, and you may decide, "Oh, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go do this thing." but then that story won't leave you alone. Like it just just keeps in the back of your mind. And it's like, Hey, 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 what about me? You know, what about me? And, um, you know, I think it, it's this sort of cosmic thing. I don't know if you've ever read any Elizabeth Gilbert, she has this great, um, book called big magic about Mm, creative work and life. And she's got a phenomenal story in there about, the story chooses you. And I just read that book like a month ago and I was like, see, the story chooses you. I knew it. Um, 
Well, well, let's let's just quickly look at one of your films, Homeland, Still Dreaming, Shakespeare Behind Bars. I'd love to hear how that first, it wouldn't leave you alone, or when you first came into contact with one of those stories. uh, Well, Homeland is a... Homeland is a good sort of um, one to talk about because Homeland is a film we made with funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Um, we got a lot of support from from PBS. Let's just call it. It's more complicated mm-hmm. than that, but um, and we made it for we. My husband and I spent three years going up to Pine Ridge Reservation and spending time with four families there, and basically documenting their life over three years and each of these four families. Um, and it ended up just, just being this probably the most incredible experience of my life, you know, over, over time where it was a time in my life where I was just kind of spirituality was just coming on my radar, you know, and, um, we had been commissioned our our first project together, um, my husband and I to do an advocacy video about native elders and the services they get through our government versus the services that, you know, like a, a white mainstream elder would get in their senior center versus the senior center services elders would get on the reservation. And you, and you were hired to do that as a film. Yeah. Yeah. It was, but it was an advocacy video. So it was right. meant to be shown in, it was meant to be shown in Congress, right? right? Which it was, and it helped, it it did some great things. But the experience of that was that we got to drive around for weeks and go to different reservations and spend time with elders. And first of all, I had, I had never, I didn't understand what, what the reservation system was or what life was like on a reservation. I had all these stereotypes in my mind that our mainstream media perpetuates and when I saw what was really there, I was just blown away. And I was blown away by the culture and the vibrancy. And, you know, just like, I just was, I came alive personally in a way that I never had realized I could. And so that was just like, so we did that video and it was done, but we had met some people on Pine Ridge, these two wonderful elder women in do making that film. And, and we just like, it, they, I knew there was so much more to say and to illuminate and to be a vehicle for, and that just wouldn't go away. It was like, you have to do this. You, mm. have, to, you have to find a way you have to raise money. You have to, you know, and it took, years for us to finish that film we thought we would make we would film for like a year and it would be a year in the life but we couldn't get the money to finish the film so we just kept finding a little bit of money here and there to go keep shooting and also it felt like after a year the story wasn't finished and finally at the end of like three years the story felt complete enough for a a film and we finally raised enough money through PBS to finish it. Um, what a story that, you know, one of the things that gets me in that story is how you say yes to something that's an advocacy film, which is powerful and important, um, but also more left brain, I'm thinking. Right. 
and that it then leads to, it connects with you in such a way that it opens up everything and it, you know, and what you just shared. So was there ever, were you, did you ever doubt whether or not you should do that original advocacy project before you knew what you were really even getting into? Or was it always just, you know, was it an immediate yes on that one? Uh, I'm sorry, did you say, was there a doubt of whether we should do the advocacy? Yeah, thing? you know, because oh, I think, no. think, I think I, things we were, come across people's desks and sometimes they're like, how do I decide what to say yes to? And it's not obvious there's a big future, <laughs> but something says yes. Um, well, here, here's what happened. We were thrilled to get our first, you know, job as our independent filmmakers to make this video. But we were also so determined to make it more of a documentary than an advocacy video that we poured ourselves into it, you know, and we went way above and beyond like what it probably needed to be. Um, and we tried to make it more of like a film, you know, than a than a uh, you know a video that's sort of dictating how you should think and feel. Um, we wanted it to be more open than that and more of a visceral experience. And um, so we sort of succeeded and we kind of didn't, you know, we, we, we were sort of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, but um, that just like sort of left us hungry to, to kind of tell the story in a way that we felt was more fitting. And so that's why we continued um, down that path of telling the next story in a deeper way. And then when you finally, you went through this and it ended up taking, you said four years to actually complete the film Homeland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the time you were done, what, where, what were you thinking? What, what was in you? Did it lead to the next project or was it just this, you know, was there just a sense of really big completion? I mean, what was that like to actually well, go through all of that start to finish? Yeah. So whereas the advocacy video had sort of helped us get a little bit of skills together and under our belt, the film Homeland became like our PhD of film school. I mean, we learned how to grant, right? We learned how to manage a crew over the long term. We learned how to tell a long-term story. We learned how to deal with um, post-production and deliverables, you know, and we shot that on film and we had to deliver it to PBS broadcast on video. And we also had a theatrical, you know, some theatrical showings on film and it went to festivals. And so we, we basically got the A to Z, you know, real world filmmaking experience on that film. Um, and so I can't remember what your question was. <laughs> well, what, that, when you were through, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so, so when we were through, it was like this huge sense of like, well, okay, now we know what it is to actually make, you know, a film from start to finish. And it started our career because we were funded by the Independent Television Service Mm -hmm. which is funded by Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And they are this incredible entity that funds independent documentary in our country. And they're very prestigious and, and just have really a great stable of, you know, films. And they were sort of new at the time that we got our funding, but I knew at the moment that we got the funding from them was like, oh, okay, now I'm going to get to have my career. You know, like this is the break 
that we've been looking for. And it did really help, like in terms of building a career, it was so important. But, you know, you have to get, you have to start from ground zero again with the next project. And yeah, you have some connections, but it doesn't mean those connections want to fund your next project. And, you know, luckily the, the thing that that film, you know, it was an incredible experience in and of itself. And if I never made another film, it would have been a highlight of my life, you know, and it still is. Um, but being able to show it to the next person that we wanted to immerse ourselves in their life with, um, that person was Kurt Toflin, who ran the Shakespeare Behind Bars program in Kentucky. And we had to show him our work to get in the door with him. And he liked that film. And so he said, yes, you can have access to what I'm doing. You can come in and document my story and the story of these um, incarcerated individuals who are doing deep Shakespeare and human transformational work. Um, so it was kind of like it led to that next thing that mm. way. Um, and we did get a, end up getting funding from ITVS again, but um, it, you know, it's still like it's an uphill climb with, with each new project. I'm sorry to say. And I, I hear the nature, the character-driven stories that you speak of when you share these two projects. I, it, it makes much more sense to me now this, that there is this uh, delving in and really, really wanting to go deeper. And mm -hmm. the, um, do you have a sense that being in New Mexico, has it um, put you more in transformational waters? I mean, there, there is, you know, the spiritual side to life do you think this i mean what do you think the impact of being in new mexico has been on your film filmmaking life or career i think of it as being a place where there are a lot of film jobs but i don't know if that's current actually well when the economy is able to get back up and running you know we do have an incredibly supportive filmmaking structure in this state and um it's good for all filmmakers you can apply for that rebate and you know, it's, so it's good to be an independent filmmaker here. It also brings in a ton of work from Hollywood and, and, you know, then crew, crew members are able to get that work. Um, but in terms of the spiritual quality of this place, I think, you know, I ended up here by accident after being in New York city, working in that first documentary film job I mentioned, and I was miserable in New York city. And I ended up here kind of by accident, just like looking to get out of New York for a little while. And I was really young and I was really struck by how amazing this place was. And it did really open me up on a personal level to spiritual, you know, um, contemplation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then I had to go to, Los Angeles for 14 years and kind of get my feet wet in the real hub of business and industry and make connections. And then at some point we were able to leave there and come back here. So I think it, maybe it works both ways is that I'm drawn to this place and it's sort of spiritual container. Um, but I don't, think I'm doing the spiritual work because I'm here. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I think I'd be doing that anywhere 
it's just that it feels better here. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's not, you know, you're not some total weirdo. Um, you know, maybe lots of people are seeking that insight and transformation here. You know, we kind of all yeah, we have an aff- affinity to each other. Something um, brings us here. But yeah. but I hear it that that it's you take us where it's it's in you wherever you go. Um, but you're definitely drawn here. But you also it sounds like you spent quite a bit of time in Los Angeles and it hasn't yeah. just been a, a film career here in New Mexico and it feels um it feels very um expansive when I hear of your different films. I know Meow Wolf, there's a um, working on that, there's a big youth contingent involved in that. I mean, the energies mm-hmm. in that seems like they would also be very different from what you were, you know, sharing with Homeland. So I don't know if that's true, but here you are as this documentary filmmaker and you, you're who you are, right? And you have this, you have these interests, you have this passion um, and you go for it. What, what was it like when you met Meow Wolf? Like what, what spoke to you most in that? inspiration wise well i think i i am always drawn to what does creativity do for us as humans you know and and i'm like creativity is so important to me it's like i live it and breathe it and and exist because of it and so when i heard this great sort of unlikely impossible story of you know these young rebels um using creativity as a vehicle for their own, you know, agency and, and their own, um, you know, kind of thinking outside the box, living outside the box. I love that. I love that sort of outside the, the mainstream structures, you know? Um, so to me, that was all really compelling. And obviously the fact that they had created their own opportunity, you know, that they had, they had seen a, a lack of a door, you know, and they made their own door and then they stepped through it. And it was this incredible world that, you know, they created one plank as they put in front of themselves one at one plank at a time, you know, across the, the suspension bridge of over the, the great nothing. Um, so, I hear that it's a sheer creative energy. I mean, yeah. Irresistible. Irresistible. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, and you know, when I look at, when I look at what you've done, your projects and what you're, what you're doing now, I'm wondering, are you at that stage with yourself where you're walking like plank to plank in terms of going more into fiction or is this a kind of a more peripheral interest? Cause I, I know you're quite known as a documentary filmmaker and I also know that you're here in Sundance right now, uh, the collaborating class for the television, like you said, and the, you know, fiction yeah. project. So is that your version of, that energy that you like so much from, you know, the how meow wolf kind of what that was all about and is about, is that yours or is it something a little bit more moderate and, and something, else, <laughs> something tame? I think it's just as crazy. Um, like why would I ever think I could get a job in television? You know, that's like kind of insane to, to think it, but it's like, that is a, passion or an interest or a dream that's never left me and I kind of recently came back around to it because I remember like being in college and finding film and thinking oh television is so bad like I could make better (laughs) television television could be so much better 
And lo and behold, all these decades later, television is so much better. And there, there are more initiatives to bring women into the directing um, world of television. And so, you know, I just said to myself, like, why not me? I have all these skills storytelling skills that are translatable and and what is there still left in my life that feels challenging and that I want to try to do while I'm still on the planet and um you know the documentary storytelling has been such a gift and it's been such a good training ground and I recently did direct two fiction shorts for Meow Wolf for the Las Mm -hmm. Vegas exhibit and it was like oh this is easier than documentary. Um, I have a support crew. I have a script. I can prep. I can make a shot list. I can say, oh no, I want that color instead of that color. It was just like, this is a revelation. This is so much easier and I love it. And, um, and so I felt like a lot translated and I had spent a lot of time earlier in my career on movie sets and commercials and TV. And I I know what the different departments are doing on a fiction set and understand all that. So it felt like, oh, I've been training for this. I, I know. No, wait, what so you, you get that. You've been training for this. You see how it works. But there you are at Meow Wolf and you're ahead of their nonfiction department, but then you get hired to do these two science <laughs> fiction projects. Yeah. What was that? Was that their belief in you? Was that their why not? Is that part of their own creative kind of edginess that they're so popular yeah. for? Or what? I, how did you step into that then? I mean, that was recently. You know, I didn't ask them. I was just sort of like grateful that they had asked me to do it. And um, I didn't really press on the why because <laughs> I didn't want them to second guess themselves. Um, so they just I'm asked just, you. They, just, they knew you and they asked you, do you want to do this? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there there's a very collaborative atmosphere there. And it was like um, also the spirit of kind of giving people opportunities in the direction they want to grow in. And um, I I was just really grateful to be asked and showed up and I did the best I, you know, I knew how to do. I came prepared. I did a lot of homework and, and um, found it was, was really, really fun. And so I think that I, as I look out ahead of like, okay, what is still left that that feels challenging and interesting and it's i have also just you know over the last year while i was working at Mealf, i had a story you know tap me on the shoulder that happened to be fiction and and so i've been brewing with it it's been sitting with me for a year i just didn't have a whole lot of time to put into it but i was slowly as i could writing an outline for this series idea and then i Um, got the opportunity to take some television writing courses through Sundance that, you know, you have to apply for. And I was so happy to be accepted. And so that's, I'm just kind of looking for where are the doors right now? Mm -hmm. Where are the planks? You know, where's the tree that I can make into a plank that I can throw in front of myself? (laughs) Um, Because the planks aren't just sitting there, you know, (laughs) you got to actually find the wood and make them and then throw them out there as fast as you can. Um, Jillian, what's, what's the best thing that gets you in that kind of spirit or that kind of mood that's willing to look for a tree that could be a plank, do you know, or, you know, to say it better that look for pre opportunities. Is there something that you do in your life? Is it, or is it just who you are? What, what do you have practices? Well, do you, you know, I, I think 
one of the main reasons I feel okay doing this, and I'm not saying I feel good every day or confident or not terrified because I do feel terrified a lot and I do feel um, unmotivated sometimes. And, and um, But my dad um, is a painter and when I was growing up, I saw him go from being a nobody to being one of the top illustrators in New York City and in, in the field. And I was old enough to watch his entire journey um, going from nothing, literally being a penniless Midwestern, you know, union worker born boy to pounding the pavement in New York City and figuring out where those doors were that weren't many, you know. Um, and I saw him like figure out that system and be courageous and go for his dreams. And I, I think that was an incredible thing to witness. And maybe, you know, that's what drives me and, and is just a very unusual situation to grow up in, I think. Um, you know, and I'm not saying it was all good and happy. There was a lot of ups and downs and I witnessed the, the, the really dark stuff along with the triumphs, you know, and I think, mm. um, I've also set out to do things, some things differently, you know, and, but there was an incredible role model for me to look at. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is though I realized later in life that, oh, I'd also imprinted my mother who was the support person for him. And mm. so there's always been this duality of like, sometimes I've just thrown my support behind my, my energy and support behind my husband and then I have to balance that out and be like, oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, this isn't just about him and making the man, supporting the man in his dream. Like, I have one too. And, you know, so that's a tricky thing to balance as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it sounds like you do have with you a real relationship to that question of where is the door or where might the door be? Um, that's a and pretty there- powerful entrance. Right. And there always is a door. And most of the time we are the ones keeping ourselves from knocking on it. It's not that you can't get through the door if you find it. It's that you're too afraid to knock or you're too afraid to look. And I think I'm just done with that. I'm like done with that fear. I'm like, okay, it might be there and I might be living with it, but I'm sick of letting it live my life for me, you know? And like, why not? Why not as a woman? Why, why not? Like I'm, it's just sort of getting to a certain age and being able to assess like objectively, what do I bring to the table? I think I'm, I think that's a value. So I'm gonna not let my own fears keep me from offering that. Beautiful. Jill Ann, we could talk so much, um, but I think um, that's going to be the wrap for today. And I'm left with this beautiful feeling of knowing what it's like to be a support person and the value, but also um, knowing the need to stand up and lead or to step in first or find your own doorways. There's, I, I hear both of those in the room Yeah. Um, over yeah. the years and a long career. So thank you so much. Where would you send people who want to know or see some of these films? Where where can we tell people to go? Yeah, um, I have a website. It's jillannspitzmiller.com. 
and um, you should be able to find things there. You can also just Google the films. They're all online. So Meow Wolf Origin Story is on Apple TV and Amazon and um, Shakespeare Behind Bars is on Amazon and uh, you can you can just Google Shakespeare Behind Bars. You'll find it. Homeland, um, maybe a little more hard to find because there's a very famous television series now by that name. Right. <laughs> but if you if you dig, uh, you'll you'll find it. Or um, yeah, I I have links have links to it. I have links to it. I'm links to it on my website. You got it. And if we're, if imagine we're just going fantasy now, imagine that we're talking in six months. Yeah. What are you hoping? Obviously we're, none of us know what's going on six months from now, right now, but what would you love to be able to say about your fiction project, your work or your energies that are going that way? What would you like to be able to be experiencing? That is a great question. Um, I would hope to have uh, a really great draft of my pilot written which I'm working on right now. And I would hope to be perhaps in a television um, apprenticeship program, television directing, um, or, or some kind of training program. You know, I think that that just would help me learn the ropes of the particularities around television directing. Um, that's a very specific, you know, kind of corner of the industry. Um, so I'd like to get a little bit of training in that area before I step into like, you know, directing episodes. Um, but in a year, hopefully I'd, I'd be doing actual. Well, I want to, I want another session with you six months, a year from now. I want to see what's going on. <laughs> okay. Thank put you for it, your put time. Put it on the books. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Dylan. you, Dylan. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to thank you for listening, and I invite you to tune in again. You can listen to more of these podcasts on SoundCloud on my Creative at the Wheel channel. You can learn more about my one-on-one coaching for creatives on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.